Well, thank you, team, for that amazing song. If, if you were blessed by that, would you put it in the chat on Facebook or YouTube, wherever you're watching, let them know how grateful you are for them. And I'm grateful for them and for that song because one of the things I love is I love the song surrounding Easter. I love the songs of Easter. I love the sights of Easter. I, I love the greenery. I love the lilies. I love the new life springing forth. I love the candy of Easter, okay? You know, I love, my favorite are those little Reese's Easter eggs that are just like pure peanut butter and chocolate. Those are, those are by far my favorite. And another thing I love about Easter is I love Easter sermons. And now I know that's like the most preacher thing I could say this morning, but, it, but, but it's true. Every year when Easter is over, I go back and now it's even easier with all the technology and services being streamed. I go and I watch preachers preach the resurrection from all over the world. I watch, some of them are friends, some of them I don't know, I've never met, but I, but I love to watch them to be inspired once again, to hear the story once again. And sometimes I even, I even take notes, you know, put in my file for future years, because one of the challenges that preachers have, like myself on Easter, is that this is one of those Sundays of the year where, where you and pretty much everyone else who's worshiping with us already knows the basic facts of what I'm going to say. You already know when you tuned in this morning that, that what we're celebrating is an empty tomb and a risen Christ. That's why we've gathered. That's why Christians all over the world have gathered. That's why we've gathered for 2,000 years now celebrating this earth-shattering reality. And one of the things we do every time we, we celebrate this is, is we, we go back to the Gospels. We go back to those early accounts of the resurrection as well. And we not only go back to them because they help reveal to us what happened on that very first Easter Sunday, but we go back to them too because they help us answer some of the big questions that we have in life. And the passage we're gonna look at this morning from John's Gospel, I think it helps us answer two big questions of life. And I think they're two questions that, that everybody at some point should ask in their life. And maybe, maybe you've walked into church today, not walked in, but you know, maybe you jumped online today because you're asking these questions. Maybe you've never thought about these questions, but these are two big questions this story helps us to answer that I think we all have to answer for ourselves. And the first is, why was Jesus sent into this world? Why, why, why did he come? Why is his life significant? And the second is a little more personal. It's why does that even matter for you? Why does that matter for me living 2,000 years later? Why, why did Jesus come into the world? Why does that matter for you and for me? Those are the two questions I really want to explore with you this morning. And as we explore them, I want to read from, from John uh, just a couple verses from the end of chapter 19 and then into verse 20, his account of the resurrection. And, and this is a beautiful Beautiful story. So even if you've heard it before, I invite you to open up your heart, open up your mind, open up your ears once again. Here's what John writes. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. And because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. And early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. 
So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple started off for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but he didn't go in. And then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place separate from the linen. And finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside and he saw and believed. Although they still did not understand from the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. And then the disciples went back to where they were staying. And now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said. And I don't know where they've put him. And at this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she didn't realize it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? And thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will go get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbi, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, don't hold on to me, for I've not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. I've seen the Lord, she told them. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Every year, when we come back to these Stories. I'm reminded of their beauty. I'm reminded of the power of Jesus's resurrection. And one of the things I love about John's account specifically is that he includes some details about Jesus's life that, that the other gospel writers don't include. And there's one in here, I don't, I don't know if you, you caught it, but, but it's something interesting and I think it's something significant. You see, I mean, he tells us that, that, that Jesus's tomb was in a garden. And so he was placed there. And then early on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene, she, she went to the garden, as we just heard. She went to the garden, and there she encounters the angels. And then, then she encounters Jesus. But like you heard him say, like she doesn't recognize Jesus. Instead, did you catch it? Did you catch it? She mistakes him for the gardener. She mistakes him for the gardener. And this is kind of an odd detail that's just put in here. Very, very small, just almost like a line we just kind of skip over and don't think much about. And as I've been studying, you know, some people explain this, this little detail in different ways. Some people say, you know what, Mary, her grief, her hopelessness, her desperation was so strong that she had just been weeping and and her, her eyes had filled with tears. And so when, when Jesus was right there in that moment of her weeping, she, 
she, she couldn't physically see him because her face was puffy and she was experiencing so much grief and loss. Maybe you've been in a place like that. Other, others say, you know what? Uh, maybe she just kind of assumed that, okay, if somebody's speaking to her and she's in the garden that early in the day, well, of course it's gonna be the gardener. And, and Jesus' resurrected body, we learn in, in other places, like it, 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 it's different and it's the same. So maybe it was so transfigured that she couldn't quite see him in that moment until he revealed himself to her by saying her name, Mary. And there's lots of other explanations we, we could give for, for, for what's going on here. But I think that Jesus revealed himself first as the gardener to her on purpose. I think Jesus did this on purpose. And I think John recorded this detail for us on purpose. And I think Jesus, and I think John is sharing this with us, in order to help us answer this big question, about why Jesus came into this world. Because you see, if you begin kind of putting some of the dots together, if you think about it here, I think what they're trying to do is actually point us back to another garden. Another garden in scripture where a man and a woman are standing together. Another garden in which something significant happens on the very first day of the week. Another garden we read about after those famous words in the beginning, which are actually, oddly or not oddly enough, I think intentional, is where John begins his gospel as well, where he says, in the beginning. I think what, what, what's happening here is they're trying to get us to connect what's going on in this garden, in the garden of resurrection, with the garden of Eden. And most of you are probably familiar with the Garden of Eden, but, but maybe you're not this morning. And if you're not familiar with the Garden of Eden, I mean, we basically read about it at the very beginning of the Bible. And what we discover is that that is where God originally created humanity. And it's the place where they gave them, he gave them to live. It was, it was a garden. He said, you know what? Hey, hey, take care of this stuff. He entrusted it to them. He, he provided everything they could need. He created them out of love for a loving relationship, placed them there. And he said, look, you can, do, you, you, you can eat from everything. You can do all sorts of stuff. But there's just one thing I don't want you to do, and that's to eat from this one tree. And you might can guess what they did. They were disobedient instead of obedient. And so they disobeyed God. And in that moment, they experienced a type of spiritual death a spiritual death, separation from God. In that moment when sin entered the picture, there was a rupture in their relationship with God. And we actually see it began to rupture their relationships with one another as well. That They experienced the spiritual death. And then later we find out they experienced physical death as well. And ever since this time, these have been two of the fundamental problems that all of humanity have faced. The, the reality that one day we will die. And the reality of sin in our lives. Those are two fundamental realities. And ever since the beginning of time when people have been experiencing these, I mean, we, we've tried all sorts of stuff to kind of like fix these problems on our own and, and deal with them. 
And so we, you know what, we, we try to do good works and say, you know, okay, if I do enough good deeds, they'll outweigh my bad deeds, and then in the end, I'll be okay, and God will say, you know what, that's cool. Or we, we try to give money away or volunteer and do philanthropy, thinking, okay, that's going to, like, cleanse my conscience when I'm feeling guilty. I mean, you know how, the, like, the health industry now wants to try to get us to live forever, right? Drink this shake, take this pill, use this skin cream, right? You're, you're going you're gonna to make it longer than you ever had before. We're always trying to deny death and, and not talk about death and, and put people who, who are sick and who are aging elsewhere. These are fundamental problems that we face and we, we've tried to deal with them on our own. But what God knew and what God knows is that we can't solve them on our own. He knew that in order to solve these two problems that we were now facing, that he was going to have to do something himself because we were powerless. And so as we, we continue in scripture, what we, we find is in the fullness of time, God entered into our world in the person of Jesus Christ. And you likely know this story that at Christmas, we celebrate that Jesus was born not in a palace, but in a manger to a, to a poor family. And when Jesus grew up, he wasn't an influencer. He didn't have a YouTube account. He wasn't gaining all this traction early on. No, no. Instead, he basically lived a life of obscurity for the first about 30 years. And then he began his public ministry. Then he began gaining a few followers. He began teaching and preaching and feeding the hungry and giving sight to the blind and and forgiving people's sins and welcoming the outcasts. He began performing miracles that we've been studying leading up to Easter. He began doing all sorts of things and he began preaching and teaching and telling people, look, I have come to bring light into darkness. I have come to forgive people's sins. I have come that you may have life, he says, life to the full or life abundant, the life that God created you to live that, that has been messed up by sin and death, I have come that you might have life to the full here and now. And he said, look, I've come that you might not just have life here and now, but even after you experience death, that you might have life eternal. I've come that you might have eternal life with God as it was meant to be in the beginning. And, and as Jesus was, was going about his ministry, he knew he knew where things were headed. He knew what was up ahead of him. He knew that ultimately one day he was going to die himself by laying down his very life. And so on the night before, before he died, he actually was in another garden, a garden named the Garden of Gethsemane. And there he, he prayed with God. He wrestled with God. He, he wrestled with the significance of what was gonna happen. And he said, God, if there, there's any other way to fix this stuff, like, could that happen? But as he was, he was praying and, and wrestling with God, ultimately he says, God, not my will, but your will be done. And then soon he's nailed to a cross. He suffers, he dies. But just before he dies, he, he cries out. He, he cries out just before he dies, it is finished. He cries out, it is finished. And what, what he meant when he, when he cried out, it is finished, is he meant that the, the punishment for sin, that humanity was, was, 
was in need of experiencing, right? The punishment that we deserved, he was saying, it's finished. I've taken the punishment upon myself. The judge was judged in our place. He said, look, it's finished. The penalty of sin is finished. The power of sin is finished. It is finished. God and humanity can now be reconciled. He was saying, it is finished. And, and then he died. He died and, and he was buried in a tomb. And, and that brings us to the other garden, the garden of resurrection. The garden we read about earlier where on the third day with his nail-scarred hands, with his resurrected body, with his voice proclaiming it to all who would listen. He proclaimed, look, I have risen from the dead. And with his resurrection, which we celebrate today, what he was saying is, look, every claim I made has now been vindicated. I have defeated death. It confirmed his identity as God's one and only son sent into the world to make an atonement for our sins. When, when he rose again from the grave, he was bringing in new life. He was, he was bringing in God's kingdom to the here and now, and he was offering new life to all who would believe in him. That's what was happening on that very first day of resurrection. And so when we, we come back to this question, okay, why was Jesus sent into this world? Why did Jesus come to earth? What we discover is that Jesus was sent into this world to set right what went wrong in that first garden. Let me say that again because I, I stuttered. Jesus was sent into this world to set right what went wrong in that first garden. And so through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, he defeated sin. He overcame death. He rose in victory. And what he says is, look, I give new life to all who are willing to receive it. I give new life to all who are willing to receive it. And so if you think about it and you think back to that odd detail in John's account of the resurrection, what we discover is that actually Jesus is a gardener. Actually, Jesus is the true gardener sent by God into this world to take care of his garden, his creation, and, and to heal it and to make it whole. When we think about Jesus as gardener, what we find is that he wasn't, he wasn't afraid of, of getting his hands dirty. No, he leaned in. He got dirty for our sake so that we could experience the new life that he wants to give to each and every person in this world. And so this is why if you look in, in some Christian artwork, you, you see pictures of, of Jesus with, with a shovel. You see pictures of Jesus with a shovel or with a spade or, or different things like that as a way of depicting who he is. Not who he was, but who he is even now. So, to that second question, what does this have to do with, with you and me? What, 
2,000 years later? I mean, okay. Well, to help answer that question, I want to tell you a little story kind of about this, this shovel. And as you can tell by even the way I'm holding it, like it's kind of awkward for me to hold this shovel because I'm not, I'm not like used to using it much or anything. Like I am not, I'm not a gardener. I'm not a gardener. I mean, I like cutting grass. I like doing that kind of basic stuff, but I'm not much of a gardener. And so in the four years I've lived in my house, I have, I've planted one thing, okay? I've planted one thing and it's a little bitty crepe myrtle tree. And the reason I planted it is because during the pandemic, like I know many of you, right? You're, you're at home, you're on lockdown, you start looking at your house and your yard and thinking like, what is all this stuff? Like, I need to fix it. I need to take care of my yard. And so prices on all that stuff have gone up crazy. But one of the things that happened is when, when, when I was looking out at my yard, what I realized is that every single day in front of my house was this dead brown tree bush kind of thing. I mean, maybe you know what I'm talking about. It's just like, it was just kind of like as big as me with my arms out. It was just kind of there. I didn't really know what it was or what it once looked like. And I realized, you know what, this thing is dead and I need to just get rid of it. I need to get rid of it. This is a problem I need to take care of. And so I said, you know what, I'm going to deal with it. So I went and I bought a chainsaw. See, I'm not, I told y'all, I'm not, I'm not good with this stuff. I went and I bought a chainsaw and uh, I got it and that was fun. Put on my glasses, you know, cut it down. And I was like, okay, cool. But now I need to, need to get the roots out. So I took the shovel. I started digging a little bit. I started digging around, and what I quickly realized is that these roots were deeper than I thought. Like This wasn't as easy as I had planned out for, you know, my 30-minute minute project, because some of them I could cut with a shovel, but a lot of them I couldn't, and so um, I made an amateur error. I got the chainsaw, and I began cutting in the dirt, trying to get the roots with the chainsaw, and the dirt's going everywhere. I'm covered in it. It's a mess. It wasn't working, and then my, my shovel broke. My shovel broke, and so I'm standing out there sweaty. The project is half done, and there's my neighbor who is in his yard all the time. He's a lot more of a gardener than I am, and he's kind of watching all of this unfold, and then finally he comes over because he realized it before I did. He, he finally came over because he realized that, that I couldn't do this on my own. He realized that I needed help because this problem was was bigger than me and I had come to the end of my solutions. And, and when, it, when it comes to the problems we were talking about earlier, sin and death, these are problems that so often we, we try to deal with on our own. We, we try to ignore, or maybe we, we just kind of try not to think about them like, like I did that, that, that tree in my yard, that bush, whatever it was. Like these are things we say, you know what? I'm gonna take care of it. I'm gonna do better. I'm gonna live better. I'm gonna, you know, journal to make me feel less guilty. I'm gonna like try to be healthier so I can live longer because, because you know, death is the end for us. Like these are things we, we try to deal with on our own, but the fact is that we can't. We don't have what it takes and the roots of sin go deeper than we can even imagine. And what happens is when we're standing in that place and when we finally come to the end of ourselves and realize, you know what? I can't do it on my own. That's when Jesus is there. 
He's been there the whole time, but that's usually when we notice him. That's when we notice Jesus and we finally can hear him calling our name. We can finally hear him saying, Jonathan, Sarah, Bill, Brent. That's, that's when we can finally hear him calling our name. And what he says to us is he says, look, you don't have to do it on your own. You can't do it on your own. I've come to live, die, and rise again so that you could experience forgiveness for your sins. I've, I've come to give you life, life abundant now and eternal life after death with God. This is when Jesus comes to us and he says, look, I want to give you new life. All those dead things I want to make new again. I want to make alive again. This is when Jesus comes to us and he says, look, you know the worst thing that you've ever done in your life? The thing you're most ashamed of? That isn't the last thing. Redemption is possible. That's when Jesus comes and he says, hey, you know how you think the worst thing in your life is death? Actually, there's life after death with me. When we come to the end of ourselves, that's when Jesus is standing there and he's saying, look, let me help you. And in John chapter 11, Jesus says, he says this, these beautiful words. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then he asks a simple question after saying that. He says this, he says, do you believe this? He says, do you believe this? And he asks, do you believe this? Because that's all you have to do to receive the new life that Jesus has for you. He's saying, look, you can put down your shovel. You can put down your quick fixes. You can put down all of those things you're trying to do on your own because I've done it all for you already. I've sacrificed my very life for your sins. I've conquered death. I am the resurrection of the life. And to receive the new life I want to give to you, all you have to do is to believe. Believe I am who I said I am. Believe that I came into this world. I lived, died, and rose again. Believe that I want to give you abundant life and eternal life. All you have to do is believe. And Paul in, in 2 Corinthians, he says it this way. He says, if anyone is in Christ, that is, if anyone believes in Christ, if anyone is united with Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away and new life is here. New life is here. And, and now you might be wondering, you know, what happened with, with the stump stuff. Right, right now, new life is there in front of my house. My neighbor, he, he came in, he helped me out. The old is gone and now there's a little crepe myrtle tree that survived the winter and it is there. And for the very first time in my yard, it's, it's, it's starting to sprout leaves. There's little buds. New life is beginning to grow. And through Christ, through believing in him, he wants to grow 
new life in you. He can turn your mourning into dancing. He, he can exchange your ashes for beauty. As we sang just a few minutes ago, he can turn graves into gardens. And I love the line in the song that, that, that was proclaimed so loudly. And he is the only one who can. He is the only one who can. And so this morning, as we are celebrating the transformation that comes through Jesus Christ, the new life that he gives, the hope that he gives, his love for each and every one of us. I wanna, I wanna just give you an opportunity this morning to say maybe, maybe for the first time to God, maybe, maybe for the 50th time, maybe this is like your 50th Easter, maybe this is your 75th Easter and you're watching online because you, you can't get out of your house. However many times you've encountered this story, You've heard Jesus calling your name. I want to just give us an opportunity this morning to say once again, Jesus, I believe in you. And I want all that you've got for me. And so if you would, even, even if you're, you're at home, wherever you are watching or listening today, I want to invite you to, to just close your eyes. Close your eyes and pause on this Easter Sunday, 2021. And this morning, I want to invite you, if, if you've never made that step of faith and said to Jesus, I, I believe, I believe in you. I want forgiveness. I want the promise of resurrection I want this new life. If, if that's you this morning, would you just say in the stillness of your own heart to God, God, I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. I want all that you have for me. Would you say that? And if, if, if you've been a believer for a long time, would you just say in the stillness of your own heart, God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the new life I have because of what he's done for me. No matter whether this is the beginning of belief for you or, or you've believed for a long time, I want to invite you to, to pray these words after me. They're going to be on your screen as well. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. I believe Jesus died for me. I believe Jesus rose again. Please forgive me of my sins. Make me brand new. Fill me with your spirit and help me follow you forever. Amen.